tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. episode of the heat check we got to talk about the western conference contenders baby we got to go into the four teams that i think are most likely to come out of the west we're talking okc we're talking denver we're talking minnesota and phoenix i even bring in john krasinski to help me break it down break down the timberwolves specifically from the athletic no time for any of the losers on this episode no time for negativity. No time for weaknesses on these teams. Just strengths only. So let's get right into it, Anthony. Whose Lakers will not be mentioned. Drop that motherfucking beat. This should be Rihanna. Today and Friday, I'm going to go over the teams that I think that are the most dangerous come out of the east and the west today we're going to be talking about the western conference which is absolutely stacked and there are four teams that i think have the most legit chance to come out of this conference and i know there's some other ones that are playing really good right now but we only have time for four okc phoenix denver and minnesota i'll break down what i like about these teams and make the case no negativity on why each one could usurp what Denver has done and make the finals. Let's start in OKC, where this team has surpassed all expectations. Everybody knows this is a young team. This is a fun team. This team has come out of nowhere. They're starting five, all under 25 years old. But they are incredibly poised. Did I let you know that Shea Gilgis-Alexander has already been in multiple playoff appearances? They also have a legit superstar in him. MVP candidate in him. Here is what you should love about the Thunder. Buckets. Buckets, buckets, and more buckets. First of all, they lead the West in offensive rating. 119.4, which is just, just, just a ridiculous offensive rating, really. But the stat that sticks out and actually surprises and shocks the hell out of me is that the Thunder went from a brick-laying three-point team to a team shooting just a touch under 40% from three. That leads the entire NBA. The Thunder were god-awful shooting the three. That was like their Achilles heel, and now that is their strength. Two years ago, Gideon Shea, Shea was getting his point, his prop for three-pointers was a half. He could not hit a three to save his life, nor could Giddy. You add Chip England, the shooting expert, and just like poof, they turn into Cinderella. They give sniper Isaiah Joe more minutes. Progress of Shea, 
and others have made this team that has, is basically nearly impossible to defend. Lou Dort is a perfect example of this. He's increased his three-point percentage from 33% last year to 40% this year. I can't even express to you what kind of jump that is for Lou Dort. And that's not really something that is normal. He started out at 29% from three his rookie year and has just gone up, up, up to 40% this year. 40% is Buddy Heald levels. Lost in the discussion of OKC is this stat, which is also incredibly important in the playoffs. The Thunder lead the NBA in free throw percentage. They shoot 83% from the charity stripe as a team. There's nobody that you can hack, baby. They, they are the best shooters in the NBA from deep and the best from the free throw line. When you add in the fact that this team has the third lowest turnover percentage in the league, sorry, this team is not only a nightmare to try to come back on, but they can come back on you at any given time. They defend leads. They hit their free throws down the stretch. You cannot play the foul game on them. And defensively, everyone worth their salt knows that the Thunder are one of the best team in the league in steals. They sit at fourth. Shea Gilgis-Alexander gets like three steals a game. Chad Holmgren, two, three steals a game. But did you know that they also lead the league in block shots? Blocking, stealing, getting buckets, getting out into transition, hitting their motherfucking free throws. They have the fourth-ranked defensive rating in the NBA. They can throw so much athleticism at you on the court, including Chet Holmgren, who has been a revelation on defense. But Shea, Shea regularly has two blocks in any given game as well. So how good are they? Well, they, they gave Trey Mann away. I love Trey Mann. He's like a son to me uh, for the Gordon Hayward trade. He's not like a son to me, but he's great. I love him. The dude could not find the court in OKC. He was buried deep, deep, deep in the bench. Seven games in Charlotte, he's averaged nearly 30, 30 minutes a game. Stat line is 12-5-5, and five, nearly two steals per game. They also got let go of Vasily Majic, a former EuroLeague MVP. He's also ripping it up in Charlotte. They barely use Gordon Hayward right now. He's like getting five points per game. Believe me, in the playoffs, he will be used. That shooting will be worthwhile. They are so stacked that they bought out Alexei Pokashevsky, who is supposed to be the first Chet before Chet ever existed, first-round pick, 17th overall in 2020. He shows a lot of promise. Someone's going to pick him up. He's going to be pretty good. So, yeah, in terms of the upside of the Thunder, if they get hot and they turn you over, it's night-night sleep mask for you, and they can run all the way to the finals. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Moving on. It's been very easy to overlook Phoenix. They've been the laughing stock. We've been making fun of them. This team is, is Team DNP. Oh, Bradley Beal, his back, Devin Booker, his soft tissue injuries, they have no depth, etc., etc. But, even with all the big-time meltdowns on national TV, and for the first half of the year, they've been abysmal. They've struggled to put the big three of Book, Durant, and Beal on the floor together. They gave me big-time Brooklyn Nets 2.0 vibes early on. But folks, let me just say this. When Phoenix is firing on all cylinders, they are unstoppable. They are third in offensive rating in the West, 117.7. But that number is completely deflated considering that, again, KD, Book, and Bradley Beal have not shared the floor together as much as a team like OKC has. That includes a ton of games without Booker or Beal or maybe even KD. Think about what the offensive rating for the Suns would look like if they were together the entire season. They would probably be a historically good offense. Right now, Suns, 15-6 and six in their last 21 games. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10 home games. And the home court advantage in Phoenix is real. Remember that Suns and four girl? How annoying she was when she thought the Suns would never lose at home? You defend the Valley. You steal a game on the road. You could maybe find a way to beat a team like Denver or the Clippers early on in the playoffs before they find their groove, before they even know what you've got cooking and coming, and the Suns could easily find themselves in the finals. Defensively, this team is not as bad as we early on had feared. They stand at middle of the road in defensive rating, but are fourth in the league in block shots. Fourth in the league in block shots. Did not see that one coming, did you? I didn't see it coming until right now. Here are three stats that should make you intrigued by the Suns. First, only two teams in the West get blocked fewer times, which means either one of two things. One, they've got incredible clean shot selection, or they're really fucking good at making tough buckets. And I think it's probably a little bit of both. Second, they're eighth in the NBA in three-point percentage at 38%. 38% for a full team is very good. Grayson Allen, who has been a massive surprise, leads the league in corner three-point percentage. He's just there sitting there like Chris Bosh. Hey, I'm open. Hey, KD, you want to drive and kick? I'm right there. I'll hit those. KD is shooting 43% from deep. I think that's the best of his career. Bradley Beal is finding his stroke at 41% in his last 10. Third, Phoenix is third in the NBA in field goal percentage at 49.6%. And a lot of that is on Booker, Beal, and Durant. And that's impressive. Why? Because no team is attracting more double teams 
than the Suns. More attention from these shot makers. Yo, swarm them. Get the ball out of their hands, which you do not want to do. That is pick your poison. That is whack-a-mole. You shut Devin Booker down, there's KD. You shut KD down, there's Bradley Beal. You shut all three of them down, which you won't. There's Grayson Allen standing there in the corner. Whap, whap, sleep mask. Goodness gracious, does anyone want to face him? Does anyone want to face a healthy Suns team right now? This is why seeding doesn't matter if you don't have to be in the plan. If you're top six, the Suns have the ability to blow out anyone, anyone above them or below them, just based on their shot making and their ability to get buckets down the stretch in winning time alone. So that's them. And even though I like OKC and Phoenix, the truth is the title goes through Denver. They are just now starting to find their groove. They don't care about the regular season. They know what time it is. Michael Malone, when he has to scheme for a seven-game series, it is time for Jamal Murray to turn into the best player you've ever seen in your goddamn life. They are 17-8 and eight in their last 25, following this blowout win over Sacramento last night without Fox, but still, they tore him up. I think they allowed him to score seven points in the third quarter. They've done that despite an incredible set of facts. Denver, not in the top eight in the NBA in field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, free throw percentage, three-point percentage, rebounding, turnover percentage, not steals, not blocks, not defensive rating, not offensive rating, not pace. They ranked eighth in net rating. What the fuck do the Nuggets do statistically? At an elite level, nothing. Except for, they do everything pretty damn well. This is a team that is fourth in the NBA in winning percentage. Third in the West. What do they do? They do that by being consistently reeling, re like grinding other teams down. And that consistency is built on shooting the ball well, their sixth in field goal percentage, and passing the ball well. Second in assist ratio behind the Pacers, and fifth in assist percentage. That's enough, folks, to win you a lot of games, including a second back-to-back -back championship. Of course, this all falls on two players. One, Jokic and Jamal Murray. They offensively make it so difficult for you to shut any one player down. You talk about whack-a-mole like you do with the Phoenix Suns. That's, that's the case with all of the Nuggets. KCP, big, shoots threes, gets into the paint. Jokic, big, shoots threes, get into the paint. Can kick out, to, spray it out to any number of shooters. Jamal Murray. A certified bucket getter can hit tough shots just like his name is Bradley Beal as long as it's not in the regular season. Back to Jokic. He has been better this year than he was when he won back-to-back -back MVPs. And damn, it's fun to watch him. Also defensively, Jokic has cleaned up his fucking act. One of the best players actually in pick-and-roll defense as well. I said this early, earlier, but it bears repeating. I watched Jokic play against the Pistons, one of the worst teams in NBA history. He scored exactly four points. He dominated the game still. Tons of dishes, 16 assists, seven boards, five blocks in 25 minutes. The Nuggets were up 23 points by the end of three quarters, and then he was like, yeah, I'm just going to sit the rest of this game out. 17-point win for the Nuggets. He was plus 16 in two quarters of play. Just toying with them. I don't need to do anything I don't want to do. And the thing about all these players that I like about the Nuggets is none of them, and that makes betting on them extremely difficult, none of them force what the game is going to be. It's all about reading and reacting and allowing the defense 
to dictate what they're going to do. On any given night, someone can score 25. It could be Aaron Gordon one night. It could be KCP one night. Jokic could score four, and they could blow a team out, or he could score 34, and they could blow a team out. Since that game, a Jokic is at, since that Pistons game I was mentioning, he's averaged 28, 13, and 9. 28, 13, and 9 he has averaged. There's only one team, though, that I think that can take the Nuggets to the limits. It's the one team that Jokic said gave them the hardest series in the playoffs last year. I'm talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are big, who are strong, and they have a surreal 107.8 defensive rating, and they kind of have figured out how to defend Jokic, which is a full three points better defensive rating than anyone else in the NBA. We had John Krasinski on, who covers the Wolves, on my other show, BetMGM Tonight, where I was joined by my co-host, Nick Ashu. John, who works for The Athletic, broke down the Wolves for us in depth. Let's turn to him to get more info on the one team that I think can threaten the healthy Nuggets. Ryan and Nick tonight, or Tristan tonight, good God. You can tell I've been off a week and Tristan's been off two weeks. I know, Tristan, just let it go. Just let it go. We, it is, it is, it's the Monday after a week off. It's how it goes. Raptors up 57-53 on the Pacers. Knicks have an early 22-21 lead on the Pistons. It's a slow night in the NBA, T. We got two games, but you know what? My Knicks, they're hanging on. They're going to hang on and do all they can. Mitchell Robinson on the bench tonight, slowly working his way back. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about their future. I'm feeling good. It's going to slowly just uh it's going to get better that's how we're going to be yeah hopefully julius randall doesn't need season ending uh surgery on his dislocated shoulder and you need ogn and obi back from that elbow injury uh asap rocky because this team just hasn't been very good since he's been on the bench this is this is very very true you know it's like every time you think you got something nice i'm like hey the knicks got a good team this year oh god everybody's hurt this is what i'm gonna have to deal with every single season that goes on but hey we don't even talk about the wizards and that's a good thing i'll leave that team aside all right we bring on john krasinski here senior writer for the athletic he covers the timberwolves he covers the vikings no we will not make any office jokes with jim it's, i'm sure you've heard it a thousand times so i'm just not even gonna waste my time with it because that would be unoriginal my friend so i won't do it uh, that being said we were talking about the timberwolves earlier and you know this is a team john that when you watch them, you see the talent that's there. Anthony Edwards clearly is, you know, the number one on that team. But for years, I felt like there was expectations and a level of talent that's there. But it never seemed to come together. What has been the difference this year for Minnesota versus in the past where we're looking at them and going, I mean, they could be the one seed in the West when things are all said and done at the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to two things. I mean, the most obvious is health. Carl Anthony Towns missed most of last year with a calf injury, and when you lose your second best player, that's going to be a lot in in a in a rugged Western Conference. But really, the biggest key for them this season has been continuity. Uh, last year was the first season of Rudy Gobert. There was some uh, struggles in terms of acclimating to him, of him acclimating to the Timberwolves. And then midseason, they make a big trade and send D'Angelo Russell out and bring Mike Conley in. And so I just think that you saw a team that really was not comfortable playing together yet and hadn't figured each other out and hadn't gained an understanding. And so um, they get a full summer uh, to kind of go over things, to get to familiarize with each other. They had a full training camp together. They have been, knock on wood, relatively healthy this season. And so you just see a team that really knows more of what it is supposed to be on a night in and night out basis. And I just think that, you know, in a league that is so 
kind of dependent on change and it changes such a central part of of this league at coaches and um and, and players and roster changes and all of that to have the stability that they've had now for a little over a year has made all the difference and they just look comfortable playing together yeah, the thing, John, that I was really disappointed in last year was just the spacing. It felt like when Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns were on the floor at the same time, we were all worried that it wouldn't be able to work to create those driving lanes for Anthony Edwards. Is it as simple as bringing in Mike Conley to space everything out, or was there a scheme thing that you saw Chris Finch change in order for this offense to start clicking uh, and allowing Anthony Edwards to flourish. Well, I, I do think, Trista, that uh, Mike Conley is just a much better fit for what they needed to do with this roster than D'Angelo Russell was. D'Angelo Russell is a very good scorer, and when he gets hot, he's an excellent shooter. Um, Mike Conley is just more of a quarterback. Like, he runs the show, he gets people organized. He understands where people need the ball, where they like it. And most importantly, he knows Rudy Gobert from playing with him in Utah. Rudy is a unique player, and it takes a while to adjust to him. And so to your point, I do think that it took them a while to figure out spacing as well in terms of Carl Anthony Towns was moving to a new position. He was playing power forward when normally he was used to posting up as a center or getting the ball out on the perimeter, pump faking at three-point and driving a lot. And with Rudy there, it just changes the dynamics of what is available at the rim in the paint. And so I think they've kind of gently pushed Rudy into a dunker spot situation a little bit more to open things up for, for Towns and Edwards on the drive. And I think Mike Conley running more empty side pick and rolls with Rudy has helped to kind of breathe a little bit more space into the offense. It's still a work in progress, though. They are... Um, they're just they're kind of been toiling around 16, 17, 18 in, in offensive rating most of the season. So they have a lot of work yet to do there, but you can see the outlines of understanding where each other needs to be a little bit more. And they have about 25 games to figure that out until the playoffs begin. You know, John, one of the things that I always look at with a young up-and-coming team, where the Grizzlies were in this spot a few years ago, uh, before obviously everything went south with John Moran and everything else, the Timberwolves are kind of in that spot where they're, everything feels like it's coming together. But there's the regular season, and then there's the playoffs. And the playoffs are a different animal. And it always just feels like these young teams have to gain that experience and go through some playoff series losses before they can kind of get to that next step. What is the ceiling, do you think, for this Timberwolves team this season? Yeah, I mean, you know, they have been in the first round of the playoffs the last two years. Um, unfortunately for them, in the Denver series last year, Jane McDaniels and Nas Reed were both hurt. So I think they missed that really good opportunity to get a taste of the action. And and so Jane McDaniels, Nas Reed, some of their supporting cast will be going into these playoffs kind of a little green, a little bit light on experience. But Anthony Edwards has been there. Carl Anthony Towns has been there. Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley have played in, in playoff situations a lot. They haven't had a ton of success. They haven't won championships yet or anything like that. Um, so there is an element of I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing with the Timberwolves. Yeah, they, they're, they're, they don't have the benefit of the doubt, even if they were the one seed going into these playoffs. They are a team, I truly believe this, that they could absolutely – go to the NBA Finals coming out of the West. I, I think that they have the talent 
And if they get the right matchups, they can win three series and get to the finals. They also, if they get the wrong matchup, can lose in the first round. Like that is kind of the ceiling and the floor for them. And it is volatile. I would definitely lean much more toward they're going to win at least one series, maybe two, uh, maybe more than 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 bow out in the first round. I think that would still be a, a very big disappointment. But that's the volatility and the uncertainty that surrounds this team right now because we just have not seen them do it together before. So they don't have that benefit of the doubt. They're going to have to really prove that they are capable of winning high leverage games and in April, May, and June before uh, they're going to get anybody's trust and belief that this is actually going to happen. Timberwolves plus 850 to win the Western Conference. Certainly worth a look. Uh, The Nuggets were a buzzsaw in the playoffs, John. Mm -hmm. Just an absolute demolishment. But the only team that really stacked up well against the Nuggets were the Timberwolves. Even Jokic said it was by far their toughest series, even though it might not have looked like it in terms of how the series played out, in terms of how many games it went. Like, Why do you think the Wolves stack up so well uh, against the Nuggets, and how much of that has to do with Tim Connolly as the architect of both teams? Yeah, I mean, certainly Tim Connolly deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he, he and Calvin Booth built the Nuggets into the champion that they are. Um, and he has now done a really good job with the Timberwolves and bringing in Rudy Gobert, bringing in Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, just getting Monte Morris in the trade. So he knows what he's doing from a roster-building standpoint. And one of the things that uh, was his first order of business when when he took over with the Timberwolves before last season was he knew that Nikola Jokic was the player that was going to stand in everybody's way when it came to the playoffs. And so that is the biggest reason that he went and got Rudy Gobert in this very polarizing trade, going extra big against the Nuggets because he thought that that was the way to match up against the best team in the Western Conference. And I think that there's validation to that right now. One thing that you see the Nuggets on a nightly basis do is use their physicality and their size to really beat up smaller opponents. They just did it to the Warriors the other night. Um, any team that goes small in this era is too small for the Nuggets with Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, all of those guys. The Timberwolves are one of the few teams in the West that can stand up toe-to-toe and look the, the Nuggets right in the eyes. Gobert, Towns, Jaden McDaniels is long. Anthony Edwards is 6'5", but he plays really big. They have Nas Reed coming off of the bench. They have size everywhere, and I do think that that at least makes it a little more of a challenge for the Nuggets. Um, what they, what you saw them do in the playoffs to make it a little hard on Denver was Rudy Gobert guarded at Aaron Gordon. Carl Anthony Towns actually made Jokic work as well as anybody did for his points. He still had a great series, but but Towns made him work. And then Gobert just kind of played the free safety in defense and played help defense, daring Aaron Gordon to make shots. And it worked in their favor a little bit. Then you have the perimeter defenders to go up against Jamal Murray, to go up against Porter Jr., to go up against uh, Caldwell Pope, anyone that the, that the Nuggets throw out there. So I still don't think, I mean, obviously the Nuggets have to be the favorite. Um, they've done it. They've, they've proven it. But I do think that the Wolves are one of the few teams in the West that can go into a series in the playoffs and say, we have 
the horses to match up with these guys. And they will go in believing that they can win that series. And we would see it. I would I'd love to just see it and see how it plays out. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Come back tomorrow for an all-new episode on the East. And check out the feed for past episodes and mini-episodes, which drop unexpectedly, like Miss Peach's eating a remote when she didn't even know how to bite things three days ago. Do not forget to follow the Heat Check all season long. That means download, subscribe. Please tell your friends. All of them. Even that guy at the pizza place who told me that my pepperoni pizza costed $33 for a square small Detroit style pizza. I don't even like Detroit style. Tell him, hey, that is like $20 too much. But as long as you listen, download, and subscribe to the Heat Check, I'll keep paying you that 30 Oh, yes, do not forget to follow us on social at the Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Shout out to Anthony for doing this thing late. We'll see you next time.